0: Well, good morning. good morning. I'm excited this morning to begin our study of Romans. There's a movie about a family of superheroes. It's called The Incredibles. Some of you probably heard of it. And this, this family is, is trying to blend in with the, the regular people. right? But one day, the dad, he, he comes home from work. He's had a terrible day. He punched his boss through a wall, um, which is relatable, right? And he gets home, and he's so angry, and he he rages on the car. The door won't shut. He picks it up, and he's going to throw it. And there's this little kid on the sidewalk on his little tricycle, little uh, Hot Wheels car. And he's got this big bubble of gum, and it just pops on his face, and he just sits there like this. And the dad puts the car back down. And the next day, he rumbles into the driveway, and he gets out of the car, and he sees the little kid on his his Hot Wheels again, and he's just staring at the dad. And the dad says, well, what are you waiting for? The kid says, I don't know. Something to me. I kind of feel like that kid today. As we stand at the entrance to a book that has launched great revolutions like that of Martin Luther, and great revivals that began uh, with John Wesley. John Calvin was once evaluating the value of of Romans, and this is what he said. He said, when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures. So I can only stand here today in all truthfulness... And proclaim that I am waiting for something amazing. Because Romans is a gospel book. And when the gospel is spoken, lives are changed. Relationships are transformed. Churches grow. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, God is glorified. We should be aware, however, we have shifted gears. For the last several months, we've been studying a a form of writing known as (coughs) biblical history. With a little bit of narrative mixed in. Uh, This type of writing tended to be more descriptive as opposed to prescriptive, right? We were told what happened, and often we were left to take clues from the context of the passage and sometimes the whole book to understand the lessons that we were taught. An example of this would be when David went over to the Philistines. If we just read that one chapter, we may not see why it was such a terrible thing for David to put his hope in the Philistines. To protect him from the king that was trying to kill him. But as we read the whole book of 1 Samuel. And we see how Yahweh protected David. And cared for David. It leads us to the understanding that David with the Philistines was a bad thing. And although God got him out of the situation he was in. And and even used that uh, that situation to (laughs) separate David from Israel. As they suffered that terrible defeat last week. We still know that. David was never in any danger from Saul (coughs) because God was his protector. This week we travel to Rome about a thousand years into the future. And even though we have David and Saul in this passage today, the the genre of writing that we're reading uh, now is known as an epistle. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter. right? It's a letter writing. To be sure there will be history mixed in, Uh, To this book, but an epistle's purpose is not to tell a story or to give a a history lesson. An epistle is meant to guide, to instruct, to rebuke, and to encourage its readers. It's got very direct language, meaning we will get a lot of prescriptive writing instead of descriptive writing uh, things that tell us what to do and how to live and how to worship. In fact, The the book of Romans will give us the answers to many questions we may have had or, or currently have. Questions like, what is the good news of the gospel? Was Jesus really God? What is God like? How can God send people to hell? Why are there sex perversions, hatred, crime, dishonesty, and everything else we see if we choose to kick on the news? What is the standard by which God condemns people? How can a person who has never heard the gospel be held spiritually responsible Do Jews have a greater responsibility to God than Gentiles? Who is a true Jew? How good is a man in and of himself? Can any person keep God's commands? How can a person know he is a sinner? How can a sinner be forgiven and justified by God? How is a Christian related to Abraham? What's the importance of Christ's death? What's the importance of his resurrection? What's the importance of Jesus being in heaven right now? For you ladies studying Hebrews, I don't know if you've gotten there yet, but you will understand why it's important that Jesus is in heaven right now, interceding on our behalf. How is all mankind related to Adam? How are believers related to Christ? How are God's grace and his law related? How important is obedience to God's law in the Christian life? Why is living faithful christian life so difficult what does the holy spirit do for the believer why is there suffering in the world what are election and predestination how could christians pray properly how secure is a believer's salvation what is god's plan for israel what is his future plan for israel what is true spiritual commitment What is the Christian's relationship to the world in general, to the unsaved, and to other Christians? How do Christians deal with issues that are neither right nor wrong in and of themselves? What is true freedom? How important is unity in the church? Romans covers all of those questions, and more. And it speaks to us today in the 21st century just as powerfully as it did to those living in the 1st century. Romans speaks authoritatively and morally about adultery, any sex outside of marriage, hating, murder, lying, civil disobedience. And it speaks intellectually and psychologically and theologically. And it does all that while hammering home the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, do you see why I'm like that little kid in The Incredibles? Something amazing awaits us. Okay. And if I make one last plug-in for the small group that's starting this Wednesday, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, if you want to sign up on Wednesdays at 6:30 uh, p.m., we're going to meet over in the Anderson Building. Uh, I will do my best when I preach these sermons to not cover as much of the actual book that you will be going through. Uh, it will be a little bit difficult in smaller passages, right? But um, it will give you a chance to dive deeper into God's Word with fellow believers. and It, it will do more than that. Because I've been a part of a small group that, that Pastor Andy started when he was still here. Right? And I've been a part of that group now for several years. And when you're a part of a group that that's that small and that intimate, you get to know those people. And you get to know their lives. And you get to know uh, when they need help when they need gospel help, when they need help with life. And you grow together like a family, like a church family. And so these small groups offer us a way to get even closer to those people that we maybe only see on Sundays. This, this Wednesday, we're going to combine both small groups, the existing one and the new one. And we're going to meet over in the Anderson Building, and we're going to launch into Romans. We'll watch the, the Bible Project. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the Bible Project, but if you if you're home and you want to check it out, Um, They're on YouTube. They go through each book of the Bible, and they just give you an overview of the themes of the book. And they do it all while drawing these funny little pictures. Sometimes they make you laugh. Sometimes you're like, "Hmm." we'll do that together. We'll launch into the Book of Romans together, and then the existing small group will go back to their small group, and the new small group will stay here at Anderson the next one. It will be worth your time. Like I said, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Make sure you sign up so we get enough books for everybody. We ask for a $5 donation to help offset the cost of the books. They're not super expensive, but uh, we want to make sure that everybody gets a book. With that, let's jump into our passage. It's a shorter one than we're used to, right? We're used to like 30, 35 verses. This is seven verses. So uh, if you would please stand for the reading, if you're able, uh, of God's Word. Romans chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God add his understanding to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus. No mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message, lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying your life to insult, injury, death, that I may be redeemed, ransomed, freed. Blessed be you, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to thee, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to thee, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give up every darling lust, to submit heart and life to its command, to have it in my will, controlling my affections, molding my understanding to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take me to the cross, to seek glory from its infamy. Strip me of every pleasing pretense of righteousness by my own doings. O gracious Redeemer, I have neglected you too long, often crucified you, crucified you afresh by my penitence. Put thee to open shame. I thank you for the patience that has borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be yours. Oh, unite me to yourself with inseparable bonds, that nothing may ever draw me back from thee, my Lord, my Savior. Amen. You may be seated. That prayer came out of the the Valley of Vision. It's a book that Allison lent me. I don't know that I'm ever going to give it back to her, but uh, if you're ever interested in a a really cool book of prayers, it's called The Valley of Vision. And it's uh, just a collection of Puritan prayers I I find interesting from time to time. Well, our passage today is a lot shorter than what we're used to. In fact, it's really nothing more than an introduction. A sort of, hi, this is so-and-so, and and, uh, this letter is for so-and-so. In in modern-day equivalent, this is the email address and the title line that you see in your inbox. And yet Paul... So, wanting to establish the gospel of Christ, it's like he almost can't stop himself from giving spoilers in the introduction. It's just seven verses, but it it still manages to break it down or break itself down into four sections the servant, the scripture, the son, and the saints. The servant, the scripture, the son, and the saints. So, starting in verse one, we get the servant, Paul. And with that one word, we need to stop. Stop at Paul. Because who is Paul? Because as we're studying the Bible, uh, we we need to make sure that we're we're studying it correctly. I've had people come to me and say, hey, check this verse out. This verse means this. And I say, what? Where, Where are you getting that from? And as we examine the larger passage, sometimes the book, sometimes all the books that that author has written, or sometimes the entire Bible, and we place that against That verse, we understand it has a whole different meaning than what they were thinking. And so to understand Romans, we need to understand the author, Paul, formerly known as Saul. See, I told you Saul would be in this. He was a son, son of a Jewish family. We learn in Philippians 3, 5 that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Sound familiar? That was the tribe of King Saul. Saul. And so Saul was probably named after the first Israelite king. He also happened to have a father who was a Roman citizen. So he enjoyed all the rights and privileges of a Roman citizen and all the upbringing of a Jewish person. To include a a formal Roman training at at the school where they lived in Tarsus. At that time in the world, uh, Rome had three major centers where they had uh, massive schools uh, with Everything they knew that taught. They would be the equivalent to our Harvard or our Yale. One of those schools was in Tarsus, And that's where Paul went for the first 13 years of his life. So Paul, up until the age of 13, would have received an amazing Roman education. And when he turned 13, he would have been considered to the Israelites as a man. And so he would go and train with a Pharisee, or with a rabbi, excuse me. But Saul didn't train with just any rabbi. He trained under Gamaliel. He was the grandson of Hillel, one of the most famous Jewish Pharisees, and was probably pretty famous himself. And so he would train Saul in the Jewish customs and the law, and most importantly, he would train him in the the Jewish scripture, which we would call the Old Testament. They would call the Torah. And their their method of teaching would be a question-and-answer type of, of teaching. So he would say, uh, the teacher would say to the student, uh, what do you think Isaiah is saying here? And the student would be responsible to provide an answer for that. So here's Saul with a Harvard education and a theological education provided by one, if not the top Pharisee of the day. And once he's completed this pharisaical training, he heads back to Tarsus. And this is where we really pick up Saul's story, because right about the time that Saul, we we think, is headed back to Tarsus, uh, there's this thing that happens down in Jerusalem with a guy named Jesus. Maybe you've heard of him. And a new religious group begins forming. And they call themselves The Way. And they are following a man named Jesus Christ, who claims to have been the Messiah. Saul gets angry gets angry about this, and we pick him up in, in Jerusalem in the book of Acts as people lay their coats down at his feet while the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death. <clears throat> and in Acts 8.3, Saul moves into full search-and-destroy mode as he begins finding Christians in Jerusalem and finding where they meet and either uh, imprisoning them or killing them. And he tells us in, in his other books that he, he tried to get them to commit heresy and tried to get them to speak against this Jesus, that they proclaimed. In fact, his persecution is so great that the Jewish Christians are forced out of Jerusalem. They spread. Once Saul is finished with Jerusalem, he hears about another group of these Christians in a town called Damascus. And Saul goes to the high priest and he gets orders from the high priest, papers uh, uh, allowing him to go down there and persecute those Christians. And on the way down to Damascus, he's interrupted but God, right? They're, they're walking through the desert there, and the sun there is so bright that it'll, it'll blind you all on its own. But there's a bright light that's even brighter than that that comes down and envelops him. And he hears those words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I can't imagine living a life that dedicated to God. Where you would... You dedicated every fiber of your being to what you thought God wanted, and then being confronted by that God. For the last several months, maybe years, he's been persecuting these believers, murdering them, imprisoning them, only to have God show up and prove that you've been wrong this whole time. And he has an encounter with Jesus and the Gospel. Paul is blind for three days. He goes down to Damascus, and and when he is healed, he is renamed Paul from Saul. And he immediately does what Paul does, right? Paul, he takes charge of things, and he immediately goes in and he starts preaching Jesus. This same guy that just three days earlier was coming down to kill Christians now becomes the most vociferous Christian in Damascus to the point where the Jews now want to kill him. The same guys that were coming down with, now they want to kill him. And he has to leave Damascus. And if you remember from our study in Galatians last year, he goes into the desert of Arabia where he actually is taught by Jesus himself. You remember in Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, he received his message not from the mouth of man, but from the risen Christ himself. It's important to know Paul before you read Romans. Because to understand the gospel here and the power of the gospel here, you have to understand the power that it takes to turn a Saul into a Paul. That power there is only achieved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He uh, further outlines himself there in verse 1. He calls himself a bondservant, the Greek doulos, doulos. It's pretty much what it sounds like. It's a slave. It's a bondservant. If you're a bondservant to somebody, what do you do? Whatever they want you to do, right? And it's not a 9-to-5 job. That's a 24-7. He wants this, you do it. He wants that, you do it. And that's how Paul identifies himself with Christ. He identifies himself as an apostle, a sent one. That's what that word means, a sent one. And he identifies himself as set apart the gospel of God. He was set apart not to not to go to the Jews but it set him apart to go to the Gentiles. Having met our servant, we are now introduced to the scriptures. Verse 2 which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. The scriptures spoke of Jesus. This is that unfolding story that we talked about in 1 Samuel. It starts clear back in Genesis 3. When God says, I I will provide a Savior, and you will bruise his heel, Satan, but he will crush your head. And from that point on, we see an unfolding of the story of the Messiah. We we know it's going to be a man in Genesis 3. Then later on, we see it's going to be a son of Abraham. Then later on in 1 Samuel, we see it's going to be a son of David. And so on and so forth. The prophets go on, and they talk about this Messiah that will be coming all throughout the whole Old Testament. Jesus coming would be revealed incrementally. Up until the day that Jesus rode through that gate into Jerusalem on a donkey. The story unwinds. Remember, the men on the way to Emmaus, they're walking along, and God has such a great sense of humor. I really think he does. Because these two men are walking along and they're just kind of dragging along, and Jesus walks up and says, Hey, what are you so sad about? And they look at him like, Don't you know what happened? Everybody knows what happened. He says, no, tell me. The guy that just was resurrected out of the grave says to them, no, tell me. Tell me what happened. They say, well, they, they crucify him. And then he goes on for that whole walk, and he explains to them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. Those would have been the scriptures they had then. How Jesus had to come to earth. He had to suffer. He had to die to be resurrected. They don't even know it's him until so they get there. And they sit down. They convince him to eat, and he breaks the bread, and they're like... I know somebody that used to do that. And he's gone. Right? The scriptures. And now the son. Verse 3. Concerning the son who was born of a descendant of David. We knew that. We learned that in 1 Samuel. We knew it was coming. According to the flesh. He was flesh and blood. He was like you and I. He got hungry. He got tired. He had emotions. And yet in that never sinned. You remember when he was resurrected, he, he came in and Thomas had said, I will not believe it. He's back until so I touched the holes in his hand and the hole in his side. And he walked up to Thomas and he said, touch him. Touch him. I'm real. I'm corporal. He was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. I don't know anybody else. that uh, Anybody here been resurrected from the dead? And there were some that were resurrected from the dead, right? We remember Lazarus and that. But they were resurrected through God's power. Jesus was resurrected by his own power because he was God. And that powerfully, powerfully declares he is the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lastly, having seen the servant, having read the scriptures, having witnessed the Son, we get to the saints. That's you and I. That's Paul, that's the Romans. It says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Grace, what is grace? Undeserved merit, right? Can you work for grace? Is there anything I can do to earn grace? No. If I slam my car into somebody and they get out of the car and they say, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's a junker anyway, right? That's grace. I didn't earn that. I deserved to pay for that junker car to get fixed. We've been given grace. We deserve eternal punishment. But by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've been given the opportunity for heaven. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Now, apostleship here, uh, you may say, well, wait a minute, is Paul saying that we're all apostles then? Right, because Paul was an apostle. But are we an apostle? And apostleship here, I, this is one that, as I was studying, um, when, I, when I first study, the first thing I do is I pray. Right? And I ask the Holy Spirit to teach me. Psalm 119. Look it up. Longest book in the Bible. When you've got a couple minutes, read it. right? i ask asked the Holy Spirit to teach me. Then I, then I just I, I pull out my Bible and I start reading. Now, I love study Bibles. Don't get me wrong. Because I, when I see something I don't understand, I want to know what it means, right? But I've just asked the Holy Spirit to teach me. Not John MacArthur study Bible, not anybody else's study Bible, not a commentary. So when I first read through, I have just a regular old Bible, right? There's nothing in here. Every now and again, you see a little something that says, or this word could mean this, or this word could mean that, but there's no, I want the Holy Spirit to teach me what's in here. So I'll read it through one, two, three times, depending on how, I mean, this is seven verses, so I probably read this like 50, 60 times this week. And I'll I'll find things that I I don't understand or that I want to really chew on a little bit. And this was one of them, through whom we've received grace and apostleship. And I think if we study uh, what, what Paul is really saying here in the book of Romans and in all of his letters, he's not saying that you and I are apostles now, right? He's saying that we're apostles little a. Remember I told you apostle means sent one. Are we sent from Jesus Christ? Yes. Go ye therefore into the all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands. We are sent. We are apostles little A. He was apostle big A, right? To bring about the obedience of faith. Some people chew on this a little bit, the obedience of faith. They say, well, I read that, and it says that there's obedience, and then there's faith. And some people read it and say, no, 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 no. There's faith, and then there's obedience. But I think we can look at this and we can look at the message of Paul, we can say, you can't have obedience without faith. And you can't have faith without obedience. So which came first? The chicken or the egg? They came at the same time, right? You can't have one without the other. Among all the Gentiles, for his name's sake, among whom you are also, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Just think about those words for a second. The called of Jesus Christ. What what would that message do to our society today if if they knew that they were being called by the Creator instead of they're descended from monkeys or we're just stardust floating through a vast empty galaxy? We're called by the Creator of the universe. To all who are beloved in, of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you. This would have been the, the common Roman way of, of greeting each other. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father. That would be the, the Jewish way of greeting, shalom. Right? So he covers the Greeks and the Jews. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is Romans in a nutshell. If you were to leave here today and never set foot in a church again, never crack open a Bible, never listen to anything on YouTube, no sermons or nothing, you would still know what Romans is all about. It's about servants proclaiming the scriptures about the Son and making more saints in the grace and peace of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Of course, there's more to Romans, right? I read you that whole list of questions and there's, there's way more. But a 50,000 uh, foot flyover would be these seven verses. And the message of these verses is a powerful one. The power of the gospel is displayed in that first word of the verse, Paul. And the power is just as strong today as it was back then. Because if we can get this message and we can get it rightly, we too can live transformed lives. The power that transformed Saul to Paul is still active and still working in God's church. In a book called How People Change by Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane, they explain the gospel as a then-now-then gospel. First, there is a a then, as in when I embrace uh, Christ by my faith, my sins are completely forgiven. There is also the then of the future promise, Right? Uh, if I embrace Christ, my sins are forgiven, and I am heaven-bound. And I think many Christians grasp the thens. If you ask most believers if their sins are forgiven, when they place their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would agree. And if you ask those same believers where they believe they would go when they die, their answer would most likely be heaven. But Tripp and Lane uh, point this out. They say, it is in the here and now that many of us experience a gospel blindness. Our sight is dimmed by the tyranny of the urgent, by the siren call of success, by the seductive beauty of physical things, by our inability to admit our own problems, and by the casual relationships within the body of Christ we mistakenly call fellowship. They go on to list three kinds of blindness that can affect us as believers in the here and now. The first one is they fail to see their identity is in Christ. And that their greatest problems exist within them, not outside of them. People with this type of of spiritual blindness can cause uh, people to, to... When they look at themselves, they don't see a sinner anymore in desperate need. So they're not grateful for a savior. Right? Their identity becomes what they do or who they are. Instead of saying, my name is Lance, and I'm a child of God who happens to be a pastor, I say, my name is Lance, and I'm a pastor. And that becomes my identity. Our identity is through Jesus Christ as children of God. We become blind, and in point number two, we become blind to God's provision. We find it easy to accept God's promise of eternal life, But much more difficult to accept that God has given us everything we need for godly living right here and right now. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is Emmanuel, not only because he came to earth to live with us, but because he actually lives within us now in his Holy Spirit. That men's Bible study yesterday, Alex said it quite well. He said, once we become a believer, we don't sin right. Right? I try to sin, but you get that guilty feeling. right? It's no more fun. It used to be you could just go out and sin, sin, sin all you wanted. Now, it's different. We can't. We have the Holy Spirit in us, convicting us, guiding us, teaching us. Moving us away from the things of this world and preparing us through godly living in the here and now. The third blind spot we can develop is a blindness to God's process. We talked about this when I read you that passage from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Remember when we, we invited Jesus into our life to fix up our, our little house, right? Our life. Go ahead, God. Uh, fix, fix up the little house. And at first he does the things that you would expect. He rips out the old carpet. He puts new hardwood flooring in and it looks beautiful. He hangs some pictures. Then things start getting a little more difficult as he starts knocking walls out of our life. And we're confused as to why all this this change is happening. And now there's towers going up and there's a moat that's dug and there's, there's walls erected. And we realize that Christ is building a castle in our lives. That he wants to come live in, in the here and the now. Tripp and Lane conclude this gospel blindness section with this statement. The gospel blindness in many of our lives doesn't stay empty either. If we do not live a gospel-shaped, Christ-confident, and change-committed Christianity, that hole will get filled with other things. These things may seem plausible, even biblical, But they will be missing the identity, the provision, and the process core that is meant to fill every believer. My whole goal here for believers on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, and I would would argue that Paul's goal here in Romans is to get us to the point where we're living out the gospel in the here and the now. That our lives are marked by an accurate and life-changing view of the gospel today. That we are living as servants, proclaiming the scriptures about the Son and making more saints. And what a difference that living out of the gospel would make in our world right now. Because next week we're going to look at the, the next few verses 8 through 17, but the next week we're going to look at what happens to a society when they turn their back on this gospel. When they say, we don't need God, we've got it under control. And God says, okay, go ahead. You run it. Let's see how you do. I think you will find that the world we are living in right now is uncomfortably like the world described in the final verses of Romans 1. You are here today, and this gospel you're hearing doesn't sound like something you've heard before. Or maybe you've heard it and it's just never clicked with you. And today you find yourself drawn to a gospel that not only forgives you of your past, no matter how terrible you think you've been, and promises an eternity of heaven, but it also promises to guide you through the here and the now. This moment, followed by this moment, followed by this moment. And you want to hear more about it, Come talk to me while we sing this last song. I would love to share the Jesus with you that helps me get through every day of my life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Romans. We thank you for Paul, who endured so much, so many beatings, shipwrecks, stonings. Also, he could deliver your message, Lord, your gospel. We pray that we wouldn't take this for granted, Lord, that we wouldn't take the fact that we have this gospel so readily available, so easy at our fingertips, that we do nothing with it. Lord, we remember King David. It was during his times of, of trials and of suffering that he drew close to you, and it was during his times of much, and success, and rest, that he sinned greatly. Lord, this country has much. This country has been successful. And we have sinned greatly. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. And Lord, we look to remove the log from our own eye before we attempt to remove the splinter from our neighbor's As we look at our own lives and we examine where we haven't shared the gospel in the way that it should be shared, Lord. We pray that you would give us your strength this week as we go our separate ways. As as we begin to live out church in the real world. It's easy to say amen in here. It's much harder in the workplace. Lord, may our gospel be the same here as it is on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and so on. And we will give you all the glory for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.